Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pages Unknown, the podcast dedicated to all things books and pop culture. My name is Michaela, and I will be joined, as always, by my gorgeous co-host, Zachariah. Say hi, Zachariah. Hi, Zachariah. We have a very special guest on the podcast today, Sangu Mandana, author of the hit cozy fantasy, The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches. Say hi, Sangu. Hi, Sangu. As a reminder, new episodes of the podcast are out every Wednesday. You can join us over on TikTok under Pages Unknown for more book reviews and recommendations between episodes. We do have a request for all of our listeners. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate us, and maybe write a short review on Apple or Spotify. It helps us a lot and opens up new opportunities for the podcast. We've got a ton of fun things in store for 2023, and we can't wait for you to hear it. We hope that you enjoy today's episode. We are so happy that you could join us today, Sangu. But before we get too far into the episode, can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. I am a British Indian author of almost exclusively fantasy and sci-fi. Even when my books are about other things, there's always something magical in them, Mm -hmm. probably because that was my favorite thing growing up. I live in Norwich in the east of England, and I have a bad habit of trying to work on too many things at once. (laughs) We can definitely relate to that. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Way too many things. For this episode, we both read Very Secret Society. That was for our previous Cozy Fantasy episode. But for this one, we decided to kind of go through your back catalog. So Zachariah read A Spark of White Fire, and I read Lost Girl. Now, just for our listeners here, Lost Girl was published in 2000. 2012, and it follows a character named Eva, who is an Echo. Her only purpose is to replace this original girl, Amara. She knows everything about Amara, how she walks, how she talks, what she likes, what she dislikes. And Eva and Amara kind of resent each other. I don't think they appreciate each other's existence, but Eva still has to be able to assimilate as Amara should anything happen to her without anyone in Amara's life besides her parents knowing that the change has happened. This is a crazy premise for a book. And 2012 was a crazy year for books. We had the last installment of the Divergent series. We had The Fault in Our Stars come out. And Sarah J. Maas, who's now extremely popular on TikTok, that's the year that she published her first iteration of the Throne of Glass series. That's when the first book came out. What do you remember about the experience of getting your first book out there? What was that like in 2012 before book talk? <laughs> oh, yeah, that really does take me back. <laughs> it was yeah. 10 years ago now, which I know. is just wild. Mm. I feel old. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, I remember being really overwhelmed. I was 22. No, 20... Yeah, I was 24 then. I was 22 when I wrote and sold the book. Yeah, I was 24. I was, you know, young and probably a bit starry-eyed, a little kind Mm. of, oh, you know, this is going to be it. I think back then, when (laughs) you know how it is when you're kind of like, you don't know any better, really, (laughs) that you kind of think that, you know, the first thing you ever do will be the biggest thing. And I remember just finding it really overwhelming because I had these expectations and I had experiences that didn't necessarily match up to those expectations because at the end of the day, it was Mm. a book. It wasn't, you know, the biggest thing that ever happened. But I think in the back of your mind, you kind of hope it will be. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember finding it all really stressful, finding the pressure. So I think as well, on top of all of that, on top of thinking this is going to be it, you also think like on mm-hmm. a financial level, this is this is it. Not necessarily like, oh, I'm going to be JK Rowling. M- more like, <laughs> okay, I can pay my bills now. Yeah. <laughs> 
Like I, I don't have like my expectations weren't that high. They were they, they were fairly reasonable on the financial side, I think, because really I just wanted to be able to pay my bills. And I remember that I could to start with because you know you get an advance when you sell a book mm-hmm. you know being 24 I thought yeah so this is just the beginning <laughs> <laughs> I've done it now <laughs> yeah and you know as I think is often the case with a lot of people you end up running through that first the first time you have money that's your own you know and mm-hmm. running through it and next thing you know <laughs> you haven't got any got <laughs> and... <laughs> to do it all over again huh yeah. yeah seriously and just to be clear for our listeners go read Lost Girl. Go read it. It's amazing. It is fabulous. And you know, and I think that also as, I mean, as you probably know, if you have looked at my backlist, it, there was six years mm-hmm. between The Lost Girl and my next book. So it, it wasn't, you know, smooth sailing. It wasn't easy. So yeah, I mean, I think that in a lot of ways, 2012 was amazing. My first book came out. I'd finally done the thing that I thought would never happen. And in other ways, I think I set myself up for a lot of disappointment. Mm. Yeah, a little dose of reality came through. Yeah, huh? I have to ask this question on your website and in previous interviews you've talked about an elephant chasing you Mm. and this being sort of your i'm gonna go write this moment yeah (laughs) and in lost girl eva actually chooses her own name based on a defiant and isolated elephant that she connects with on her illicit trip to the zoo yeah (laughs) is this a little nod to the elephant from your original story (laughs) funnily enough i don't actually think it is because the way (laughs) i think one of the pitfalls of telling that story about the fact that i did legitimately write my first terrible short story after (laughs) the the elephant is that people think that might have been the only elephant i ever saw (laughs) and that that in fact might lead me to have a very probably a very traumatic view of elephants Uh, but no actually because when that happened we were going from our home in the city to my dad's coffee farm and he had to go through a forest and so we did that trip Mm -hmm. a lot as I was growing up and there were lots of other elephants I think maybe like a couple of others probably chased us they they can be quite temperamental and to be fair to them we are in these big Mm -hmm. guzzling noisy cars in their territory like I don't really blame them but there were lots of very (laughs) nice experiences with elephants too so I did know that when I wanted to give Eva something that would that would mean something to her and to me that that's what I picked not necessarily because I was still (laughs) holding on to some trauma from (laughs) yeah Fair enough. I read it and I immediately thought of that story. So I'm glad now we've set the record straight. Well, I mean, that makes sense. You would, wouldn't you? Because I don't really talk Mm -hmm. about my other experiences. (laughs) Yes, you heard it here first, folks. Okay, Sangu Mandana likes elephants. Okay, we can all move on (laughs) now. I feel like that. Yeah, that needs to be said. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I do realize that you wrote this book about a decade ago. So I totally understand if this isn't top of mind, but it is for me having just read it. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about the character of Mina Ma. She was so important to Eva's growth and identity Mm -hmm. and really the reason that Eva was able to develop an identity because she gave her the autonomy to do so. Mm-hmm. And then we flip over to Mika, Micah, if you can correct us Mika. on exactly how to say that. Mika, yeah. okay. We look over at Mika and I couldn't help but connect the two of them in the sort of motherly roles they took. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about Mina Ma? I mean, again, I, that probably wasn't intentional, but you know, now that you say that, I can see that. I can. Mm-hmm. You know, I created Mina Ma because I wanted 
that, you know, I grew up in the south of India with a big Indian family, like quite a small, immediate family, but as is often the case, lots of sort of extended family. And, you know, I was often at my grandparents' house. I was often visiting aunties and uncles. Mm -hmm. What I wanted was to give Eva just a little bit of that sense of that wiser, snarkier... um, (laughs) Comfort. Older maternal influence, you know, like somebody who Mm -hmm. is maternal, but is also, you know, like no nonsense, brisk, doesn't really take any um, crap, so to speak. And, you know, that, that is a lot of what I experienced growing up. I had a lot of older women in my life who were very much like Mina Ma in as much as they were there for you. When push came to shove, they would be there for you and you could count on them. Absolutely. But in the everyday, they were probably more likely to like point out that your hair was a mess and (laughs) there was like (laughs) some dirt on your clothes. Like I remember this. So, you know, I I wanted to give Eva that because she doesn't have much else. And I thought she needed that sort of, not just that that sort of maternal influence in her life, but also that uniquely, at least to me, uniquely kind of older Indian lady. (laughs) Yeah. She was awesome. I I loved her as a character. I I glommed mm-hmm. on to her pretty quickly, yeah, yeah. Mina Ma, because I just found her to be so strong. Mm. I mm-hmm. she, no nonsense, as you say. Yeah. But she really pushed Eva to develop her own personality, even though it wasn't allowed. Yeah, you know, yeah. Eva never should have had a name. She never should have been her own person. But Mina Ma respected her enough and was like, "You need to respect yourself enough yes. to know your worth." Yeah. Would you ever consider revisiting this world? A little Mina Ma spinoff, perhaps? Because I. <laughs> loved this book I, mm-hmm. I devoured it thank you she's like not a stopped talking half. about it <laughs> I can't get over it it's my instant recommend Aww. now I absolutely adored it will we ever go back to the world of the echoes I'm always very reluctant to say never but for now I think that you know it's been a long time it has as with a lot of things I think you I don't think I could ever write the same book twice if that makes sense each book I write yeah. is sort of a little snapshot of who I am at that point and you know as is mm. inevitable I've changed in 10 years 12 years really since I started writing it and wow I don't know if I could necessarily go back and I mean I haven't even reread it since you know right after it came oh, out should. wow um, it's so good <laughs> If you needed a reminder. It makes me very happy to hear that because I do in the back of my head think that if I did go and reread it, I'd be like, oh no, no, what? No! (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but you know, I think that about everything I write, I feel like as soon as I've finished a book, and by finished I mean that it's out on the shelves and therefore more or less untouchable now, I I immediately Mm -hmm. think of things I would go back and fix. So I try to avoid rereading them. But yeah, I mean, I think that I rambled a lot. But the point was that I don't know if I would ever be able to put myself back in that space again. But again, I don't like saying never because it could happen. Absolutely fair. Speaking of a world I'd like you to revisit in some capacity, (laughs) and I'd like to keep going to. I read A Spark of White Fire. And let me say right here at the beginning, I finished this book relatively recently. I wanted to finish it right before we were going to be talking to you. So when I started it and I posted a TikTok, oh, this is great. Have you guys seen it? So when I posted on TikTok about finishing it, I said, Sangu, I got a bone to pick because this is some emotional damage that was caused by the ending of this book. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, the good old days where I wrote books that traumatized people. (laughs) 
What do you mean traumatized past tense? It's currently, currently traumatized, traumatized me saying. <laughs> yeah, I can only apologize I, as I have done every time anyone speaks to me about this book. <laughs> Just for those listening, A Spark of White Fire is the first book in the Celestial Trilogy. It's been billed as a sci-fi retelling of the Mahabharata. This book was very, very fun. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but it did indeed make me cry. I was very invested in all of the characters and all of the characters. You know what I'm pointing at, Sangu. You know why I was crying. You know exactly why. This was published in 2018 and was named one of Book Riot's top space opera novels. That's niche, but you're still like listed Mm. as one of the highest recommended ones there. Can you talk a little bit about this book and your transition from these first books in your catalog were sci-fi and now with the Very Secret Society, it's kind of more fantasy. Mm. Can you kind of talk about that transition as well? Yeah, I mean, I think that they are sci-fi. Yes, you're absolutely right. But I also feel like they are sci-fi with very much a strong fantasy leaning. Like if it's a spectrum of fantasy on one end and sci-fi on the other, then I feel like this is sort of kind of in the middle because, you know, it is a space opera. It is set in space. It does have spaceships and technology, but it also has magic and gods and mythology. So I do think it kind of combines the two. And honestly, I don't think I could have written it any other way. Like I love sci-fi as a genre but -hmm. I don't think I could ever write hard sci-fi most specifically because of the science part of the science fiction Um, (laughs) like that's the bit where I fall down I can never remember which one it is, whether it's left or right, but whichever brain is the arty side, I'm I'm that like that's me. <laughs> right, I think. <laughs> right brain. I, think it's right, <laughs> I love that you're saying it's this kind of mix because as I said with the very secret society when I reviewed it, I'm like, this book has everything. Blank, blank, blank. Well, the spark of white fire legitimately's got everything. It's got <laughs> gods and outer space it does. and it's so much fun. I also notice you do this in your books, which is why I think many people label you unproblematic. You represent so many different segments of the population in your books. You do such a good job with it. In this one specifically, when I reviewed it, I didn't talk about it having these things, but you have a king who was passed over because he had a disability. He's blind. He finds this unjust. He steals or takes back this throne, depending on how you see it, right? But it also has very casual queer representation. You've got two characters talking about the first time they kissed a boy and the first time they kissed a girl. These are just casually in here and they're done so well, just like you did in The Very Secret Society. Talk to us about that and why this is so important to include in your books. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, first I should really, I honestly have to say thank you for for saying that. It is really lovely of you to say that that it would, that it's done well because that is what I always hope to do. I can't take credit for the Blind King because that is in the original myth, and in the original myth he is passed over because he is blind. I think I probably wanted to dig more into that because I don't mm-hmm. think we necessarily interrogate in the original epic how problematic that is. But yes. On a practical level, it's an ancient kind of martial world where everyone is a warrior. And, you know, I get that. Mm -hmm. They think that there is a weakness in not being able to see what, you know, your enemies and all that. But I feel like that could have maybe have been explored more. And I wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make it clear that there is no real right side in this war because both sides have a legitimate reason to feel like they've been pushed aside. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the way they handle that 
individually. There were lots of problems with the way they, they, they react to that. But essentially, how they feel about it, I don't think is wrong. And, you know, and I wanted to go into that. And as well, I mean, we you haven't read the second and third books yet, but... Not yet, but I did buy them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But, you know, we get a little bit more about disabled characters in the second and third books and how... Oh, great. And, you know, I, as somebody who is disabled, you know, mental health and neurodivergent, things like that, I feel like this is something that I want to see represented in all its forms. And in much the same way, I write in large parts to reflect the world I live in. I don't mm-hmm. live in, in an exclusively monochromatic, abled, straight right. <laughs> world. I have <laughs> friends and loved ones who are disabled. I have friends and loved ones. I know people who are queer. I wouldn't feel right writing a book that mm-hmm. did not in some way at least try to represent as much of myself and the people I love as possible. And not in any way to speak for them, but to just include them, like you said, in a casual way because, you know, we exist. People of color exist. Queer people exist. What? That's crazy. Exactly. <laughs> like we're perfectly capable of existing without angst. Uh, yeah. Mm. And, and in a very secret society of irregular witches, especially, I wanted to show that characters like this, people like this exist. And that, yes, they may have had trauma in their pasts and they may have had to deal with bigotry, but they are still able to live happily and... Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, just 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 be exactly. It's not a hindrance to exactly. like exactly. It's not a thing that's holding them back. It's just something that they Absolutely. are. And it's it's just one of the many things they are. Exactly. It's not the first thing that people need to know about exactly. them, right? But I do want to ask since myself, nor Michaela, I think are very familiar with the original myth. Mm-hmm. Inside of that myth, are there queer characters that are talked about, or is that an addition because of what you're talking about right now? The character characters that I made specifically overtly queer in the series are not necessarily so in the myth. But you know, I think this is something that is very open to interpretation. Like Mm. there are relationships in the original that seem to me like they could be, like I would probably draw a parallel to like Achilles and Patrocles, you know, the kind of like where it may not necessarily have been explicitly made clear, but you could very easily interpret it that way. I'm just trying to think whether there are any sort of openly... There is an instance of a character who is born in one life as a woman and becomes Mm -hmm. a man. And I mean, I don't know. I I don't feel like I'm the right person to say this could be a parallel for transness, but it could be. But I don't think that I am necessarily the right person to say maybe it is or maybe it isn't. I'm not sure that I can really think of much that is explicit made clear. Gotcha. Yeah. I think that is really nice right here. I just want to sidebar us really quickly. Knowing whether or not we're the right person to say something, yeah. definitely other authors, I think, maybe need to take note. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people in a lot of lanes and maybe they should pick one. That's all I'll say on that. Since we're naming the books, you know, as we're going along here, we did want to absolutely talk about the very secret society of irregular witches and how it kind of contrasts to your other two books we just talked about. Yeah. It's a cozy fantasy romance and there's Mm. 
romance in the book I just read, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's a contrast very much to the ones we just read. Can you tell us about the process between the other books and this one being new adult? Did that change the way you thought about the characters? It is a big pivot, isn't it? It is. (laughs) I mean, I would like to blame it exclusively on the pandemic, but I think it was probably a combination of (laughs) the pandemic and just life. I mean, I don't know. I feel like, you know, it kind of ebbs and flows. There are times when I absolutely want to be writing dark angsty books Mm. and both the lost girl and the celestial trilogy are in many ways i mean there's humor there is you know happiness Mm -hmm. there is joy but they are dark angsty books Mm -hmm. and you know the source material (laughs) for both of those stories are also dark and angsty so i feel like that's inevitable but i did want to i did want something cozier and softer when i started working on witches because it yeah it was just a combination i think of just being exhausted with the political like upheavals of the last few years the pandemic Mm -hmm. it was very much I'd like to bury my head in the sand just for a little while and live somewhere that's nice (laughs) (laughs) absolutely Uh, that, that is literally a way to escape oh absolutely and, and, you know, in b- between the Celestial Trilogy and Witches, I worked on two middle grade books that are also inspired by mythology, also South Indian folklore. But And they are a bit lighter because they are middle grade. Mm-hmm. But they also deal with quite a lot of difficult things, I think. The main character is like struggles with OCD and anxiety like I do and did at that age. And these are things that I think a lot of kids are dealing with right now. So for sure. So I do feel like even with the lighter stuff that was in there, and even though it was more fun, like, you know, in air quotes, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I, it was still on the heavier side. And I think that's why I probably went so far in the opposite direction for witches, because it was just, I, I, yeah. Can you tell us the name of this middle grade book? Kiki Kalira. The first one is Kiki Kalira Breaks a Kingdom. And the second one is Kiki Kalira Conquers a Curse. And they were great fun to write. I love writing middle grade and I plan to keep writing middle grade (laughs) (laughs) but it was very much they were very personal books they were very Mm. you know kind of like dig into all the things in the past and you know bring them out (laughs) you know (laughs) much the same way that i think the celestial trilogy did the same thing sort of diving into things like grief and sort of that sense of helpless anger when you can Mm -hmm. see injustice but you can't quite figure out how to fix it. Mm. I can't imagine many people living in the world today haven't felt that at some point. <laughs> like, let's be real, the world is a mess. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, it's a garbage pile it's right just, now. Yeah, yeah, it's just a flaming heap of, yeah. <laughs> We're doing our best. <laughs> we are absolutely all doing our best here. The Very Secret Society, though, I'm just going to start calling it witches for shorthand. Yeah. It was a breath of fresh air and I think is something that many people needed, this kind of cozy family fantasy, the subgenre is really taking off. Yes. Which brings me, you and Travis Baldry, you both had your books being constantly recommended on TikTok. People were obsessively saying, read this book if you want to do blank, if you want blank, blank. (laughs) Can you tell us about 
how it felt watching all of this. And do you lurk on TikTok and watch these things? Um, I do lurk on TikTok, but other than a few exceptions, I mean, yeah, I sometimes post on TikTok, but I mostly lurk. My For You page tends to mostly be pet videos and um, <laughs> and like makeup tutorials, both of which for some, I do not have a pet and I barely ever put makeup hmm. on. But for some reason, this is what I enjoy watching. So, <laughs> and occasionally, you know, I will get a bit of book talk in there. But yes, other than a few exceptions, I really only watch videos about my books if I've been tagged. Mm -hmm. Sometimes my husband, who does, I think, actively seek these things out, will send me an occasional video and he will say, oh, this was really sweet and you should watch it. And he has not yet, thankfully, sent me anything where someone has said, I hated this book. I don't think that exists. (laughs) No no one hates your books, Sengu. I'm sure it does somewhere. But, you know, that's fine. I'm absolutely fine with people not liking my books just you know don't tag me it has happened but you know yeah I mean it wasn't a video or anything it was just it has happened but you know it's fine but yeah I am on TikTok I do sometimes see things and I did and I have seen a couple of videos where oh if you like legends and lattes read this or if you like very secret Mm -hmm. society then read legends and lattes and it's been great actually because I love legends and lattes Mm, it's fabulous yeah I mean and they are both I think cozy soft found family-ish books. But other than Mm. that, I don't think that they have a whole lot in common. But I love the fact that both of them have this sort of, I guess, a mood that people Mm -hmm. really like are drawn to. And I do love that. And that's probably why I loved Legends and Lattes as much as I did. I read it, I want to say, about six months ago and loved it instantly. It makes me very happy to think that maybe the way I felt reading that is how some people feel reading my book because just joy just pure joy yeah that's like the most fun Travis Baldry you know known listener of the podcast is going to very much appreciate your (laughs) short review here (laughs) yeah that would be a fun team up we'll get both of you on at the same time that would be a lot of fun no I mean I would love that As different as Witches is to the other two books we're kind of talking about here, there are some very common themes. Mm -hmm. And one of the ones I would be remiss if I didn't bring up because I've been thinking about this a lot is sort of the similarities between these characters. We've got vastly different stories with Mika, Eva and Esme there, but there's a, a vein there that connects them. They're all sort of isolated lonely characters Mm -hmm. when we kick it off and they're Mm -hmm. actively learning how to stake a claim in their own worlds how to sort of rebel against the rules that govern their day-to-day life you know mika cannot show that she's a witch Mm -hmm. eva shouldn't exist by all accounts (laughs) and her very existence is illegal esme was discarded Mm -hmm. literally fired out into space but they all go through this really amazing discovery and declaration of self you know, I'm here whether you want me to be or not. Right. And then they almost put that onto other people in their books, you know, with Mika teaching these these kids, mm-hmm. you are worthy, you you deserve to exist. This archetype seems to me, at least, that it's been sort of pivotal in three separate books of yours. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like this is an important story to tell, this sort of claiming of self? Yeah, yeah, I do think so. Because... I probably hadn't thought about it in that way, just because, again, The Lost Girl was so long ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yes, I do think that this is a story that you can't tell too many times. It's just not possible because there is always somebody else who maybe needs to hear it. 
Like, I mean, right. I need to hear it still. Yeah. Like, I have gone through so many sort of changes in my life, so many emotional changes. I'm not the same person I was. I'd like to think that I'm finally in a place where I have a strong sense of self. I'm happy with myself. But I wasn't always. And even now, you know, I mean, I'm not going to pretend I don't have insecurities and ask myself questions about whether I'm doing the right thing or whether I'm, you know, taking up space that isn't worth taking up. I, I don't know. But the thing is, I think mm. between the world being what it is, if you are in any way marginalized, I think you're always going to feel question whether you're worthy because the world is constantly telling you that you are not. And that can happen in wow. so many different ways. It can range from, in some cases, being actively persecuted because of who you are, as we have seen mm -hmm. far too often in the news recently, um, to, you know, just looking in the mirror and not liking what you see for one reason or another. And I've sort of run the, <laughs> the entire spectrum of those experiences <laughs> in various times in my life. And it has been hard to stake my own claim. It has been something mm that for a long time I didn't think I had a right to do and then once maybe I worked out that I did have a right to wasn't yet brave enough to or didn't know how and so I think mm. that is probably why it's a story that I come back to again and again like no matter what else is going on in these books these characters learn that they are worthy and mm -hmm. that's important to me Absolutely. That made me very emotional because I did feel mm -hmm. when I was reading about Eva and just her story, I kept on just thinking to myself how I wanted to almost take her and just, yes, you deserve to exist as an individual. Yeah. Like you are an mm -hmm. individual. That was such a beautiful thing. And when we were, when we had our cozy fantasy episode and we talked about witches, we both brought up how Mika is so strong in such a very quiet way where her mm -hmm. very existence is her strength mm -hmm. and her saying like, I'm here, buddy. So yeah. get yeah. with the program or <laughs> yeah. keep it moving. I oh, That's so beautiful. It's such an important thing. And, and I think the thing I love about Mika and Mika's journey is that it is in some ways reflective of where I am right now, which is effectively, I am mm. happy with who I am. I'm proud of these things. But there's always that just that little bit of doubt of whether other people can see that. And in Mika's case, she likes who she is. I wanted to make that very clear that she likes herself. She doesn't question who she is, but she she does question whether she is seen as worthy by other people. And, mm -hmm. and I know that is important too. I think especially after the pandemic, it's really been obvious to me that as much as, as important as it is for us to love ourselves, we do need that human connection with other people. Being validated. Yes. In some way, if I exist in your space. Yes. I want you to want me in your space. Exactly. But if I can't be in your space, I'm going to go find a space. It sounds like you are the author you needed as a child. That's what it really feels like. Yeah. That's yeah. what it feels like as you're describing this. I think so. Yes. Because, you know, like you said about Eva, sometimes that's how I feel about my younger self. That I just want to kind of snatch her away from the big feelings and the struggles that kind of made her feel, you know, horrible in many ways. Or even just to go back and say, look, it's fine. It's okay to feel the way you're feeling now, but just trust that it will get better. I think that's probably why I still 
love writing for children because I mean I have children I know that there are children who are struggling with the same things I struggled with I absolutely do not think that I can you know give them exactly what they need but even if it's just a little bit it's a little something yeah like you said I wish I'd had books like these when I was younger I'd like you know many That's other so books special Michaela, when we were doing prep for this and you walked me through a couple of your questions, you connected all of these three main characters for me. I kind of sat back mm -hmm. for a second because I had not, I mean, I was doing some critical thinking, but I had not, <laughs> I had not fully read Lost Girl, right? I've only read portion of it, but when Michaela connected these, this sounds like Sangu is not just writing for her younger self, but actively processing some of what she had to endure and what she might be still enduring. I kind of sat back a little bit when you said it, because again, like I, it's just, some of it is so far in the past. Not gone, but just, it's not something that is actively at the, in the front of my mind. And so I was kind of like, oh, <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> writing as therapy. <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I couldn't help but do it because I, I mean, obviously, I've recently finished Lost Girl. So it's very top of mind for me. I thought it was so beautiful. That story really, really touched me. I'm definitely gonna carry Eva with Aww, me for a long time. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that makes me really happy. It's been so long that it's just so nice when when someone has does read it recently. And also, it's very nice to know that it, it holds up after 10 years. It does. <laughs> <laughs> it's still relevant. <laughs> I didn't know what year it was published. I didn't realize it was the debut. Yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't realize it was the debut. It could have been written last year and I'd have been like, this is fresh. Lost Girl was your debut novel. Mm -hmm. And we're recording this right after National Novel Writing Month, which is where a lot of people try to write their first novel. So I want to dive a little bit more into this. Can you talk about your experience writing the first book and what advice that you have for these authors who have just finished this 50,000 word challenge of NaNoWriMo? I honestly don't know if I'm the right person to give anybody writing advice because I'm writing wise, I'm a mess. I mm. have a really, unhealthy process which is effectively work flat out until it's finished and then collapse <laughs> which you know I, I guess it works if you're writing something that takes you two weeks to write but it's not sustainable I don't recommend it if anyone's listening to this particular part of the episode please eat and drink don't forget to do these things yep. <laughs> that's great advice for any writers I mean, eat and drink anybody, people take a break for all humans please eat drink because <laughs> i don't i'm terrible i don't want to kind of infantilize myself because i know that mm -hmm. i'm not but i do when i'm knee deep or neck deep or you know drowning in a book i'm i do need to be taken care of or else i forget to take care of myself and that's mm. not a good thing i mean <laughs> obviously it's a lovely thing when there is somebody who does take care of you when you need it yes. but it's not a good thing yeah. to completely forget to take care of yourself or to be unable able to. Um, I think probably some of that's down to the ADHD. That's what I was about to ask you. Yep. Having talked to a lot of people who have ADHD over the last year, 
the difficulty caring for ourselves is something we seem to all have in common. And so that, that I have mm-hmm. no doubt that's part of it. The thing about nano, I find, is that it is actually in some ways, it's intense, yes, but it is in mm-hmm. some way a quite a healthy way to approach the writing of a book because it's, look, it's 50,000 words and here's how you can split it up and here are sensible targets. Yes, 13 or 1500 words a day might be too much for some people. It certainly is for me some days and it might be mm-hmm. a lot less. But it's still a sort of, it builds a consistency that is, that doesn't take over the rest of your life. And that's something that I've never been able to do as a writer. I can't be consistent. Mm. I can't write a certain number each day and then take a break or I'm either nothing or all, like literally. This is exactly how I felt as well. That was my next question for you, actually. I am also ADHD and neurodivergent. So anytime I was thinking about doing National Novel Writing Month, I was getting so overwhelmed. Mm. My partner was coming in in the morning before he went to work, because that's when I would write. He was coming in and I was already on my third latte, trying to get myself into the, you know, the mode of putting the words down. Mm. You have to take it a little bit by day. So basically, if you're going to give somebody advice who is ADHD Mm. and neurodivergent, it sounds like that advice is write at your own pace or write everything at once. (laughs) I mean, yes. I mean, I do with the caveat that it's not necessarily healthy. I think the thing Mm -hmm. that I have come to embrace about being neurodivergent is that you can't fight it and you shouldn't have to. Yes, there are a lot of ways in which being neurodivergent makes things difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, in a way that I think a lot of disabilities make certain things difficult. But that doesn't mean that there aren't you know, ways in which you can play to your strengths. Like one of the strengths Mm -hmm. of having ADHD is being really creative and being able to kind of hyper focus. And Mm -hmm. I would say that if that's who you are, lean into it. Please do drink, eat and sleep, but allow yourself to work (laughs) at the pace you need to if you can. I mean, I know that we're not all privileged enough to be able to. I'm lucky because the work I do lets me work at my own pace, not necessarily at a good pace. And you know, I'm sure all of my publishers are frequently thinking, I wish you would work just a little bit faster. <laughs> but I do think that it's important to kind of lean into your process, whatever that process is. So, I mean, in terms of advice, that's probably the best advice I can give, which is not do things a certain way, but do it the way that works for you and mm-hmm. don't compare yourself to everybody else. I mean, I have author friends who run like, who some of them take about five years to write a book and some of them can write a book in a week and both of these things are quite obviously quite extreme examples but neither of Mm -hmm. these things is wrong and I feel like for a long time when I'm up against a deadline and I think oh why can't I write a book in a week I forget that the way I do it isn't wrong either it's just different Um, and yeah it's only recently I think that I've actually started to embrace the process that's so cool are there any authors that you can list off that you draw some inspiration from in that way who are neurodivergent or who aren't. Have you spoken with any of them since publishing Witches? I mean, I have spoken to a few neurodivergent authors and, you know, I'm friends with some of them. But again, I feel like I wouldn't want to assume. It's entirely possible that I'm friends with authors who are neurodivergent but just haven't said so. Yeah. And it's not mm. something that, you know, I would be happy to be like, oh, by the way, you know, are you <laughs> X, Y, or Z? I think it was on Instagram. I saw Emily Henry had posted yeah. 
about witches, which I thought was so cool because I am a huge Emily Henry fan. I love her books. So when I saw that, oh my God, two worlds are colliding. (laughs) (laughs) I was very excited when I saw that. Yeah, I have been overwhelmed, like in a really good way, by the support that this book has gotten from so many Not just, you know, readers and booksellers, but that has been amazing as well, but just also from Mm -hmm. author peers. I think sometimes that most of us, all we really want is to kind of nudge each other and say, oh, hey, did you like my book? Because I loved yours. (laughs) (laughs) Please say you loved mine too. Well, seriously, it's doing amazingly though. Like you're crushing it. Yeah, this has been incredible. And I am very proud of what this book has been doing. Hang on, I've already forgotten where we started. Yes, you said, do I have any authors that inspire me in terms of their process? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think because writing is such an individual thing, there are many authors who have certainly inspired me in the sense that I've thought, that is incredible. I wish I could work like that. I've come to understand that I cannot. Yes. I think it was, I, what was it? It wasn't that long ago. Danielle Steele did this article in which she talked about how she writes. And I was like, well, if only. <laughs> <laughs> could never be me. <laughs> no, not a chance. Absolutely not a chance. Though some of what she said did resonate. Because I think she may have talked about how she forgets to, you know, kind of stop for a proper meal and things like that. And I was like, oh, yes, this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but her consistency, I think, is what amazed me. I'm I'm kind of like, I don't know, like a tree in that I have really productive bits and then I lie fallow for a while. Whereas it seemed like, and again, I mean, I could have just been misinterpreting what she meant, but it seemed like she's like that all the time. I was like, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> if only. I saw that Brandon Sanderson, because he's been doing a lot of promo for his books and he makes a lot of content, like YouTube videos videos mm-hmm. and Kickstarter campaigns. And when he talks about his process, I'm blown away because mm-hmm. he'll be like, oh, I just woke up and uh, wrote a billion words to, you know, world build a story. And uh, now here's this new realm that exists. And you're welcome. Bye. Sometimes if it's there, you have to get all of it out saying, go, yes. I know exactly what you're kind of talking about. Michaela and I both participated in NaNoWriMo. Mm. I remember every day I was writing 500, 600 words. And then it was the 17th of November. I wrote 11,000 words. And mm. I'm like, here it is. Here's most of the book. Yeah. It's done. <laughs> and my partner was reading it. And he's like, I can tell where the coffee <laughs> hit. I know exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly how it is, right? It is very much, that is exactly how I write. It will Mm -hmm. be a slog to start with. And I will be squeezing out each word and it hurts physically to just be staring at the screen. And then one day, Mm -hmm. like 10,000 words will come out. If only this was every day. (laughs) (laughs) For those of us reading your work, we wish it was every day. No, no pressure. I wish it was every day. Speaking as somebody who is consistently behind on my deadlines, I wish it was every day. Think it's point you just have to accept that the way your brain works is the way your brain works and and lean into it Mm -hmm. make the most of it when you can and rest when you can't do it totally exactly well we're very thankful for the way your brain works Oh, thank you. Congratulations are in order here, too, because Very Secret Society is in the final Mm -hmm. round for a Goodreads Award in the fantasy section. Yes. And you're surrounded by some pretty heavy hitters here. We have Brandon Sanderson and Sarah J. Maas and Olivia King and R.F. Kwong. Stephen Like heavy hitters in this category. Yes. And Very Secret Society is standing there and being like, yeah, me too. I know. I know. Honestly. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) 
I, I was amazed when I made it to the opening round because I was like, this is amazing. But I mean, you've seen who else was in the opening round and I still, you know, managed to make it to the final round. And mm-hmm. it's just, I, I read so many of the books that were on that list and I would be so happy if any of those books won. So it was just, it's just incredible to be, to mm-hmm. be there among them. It's so cool. We sort of touched on this a little bit, but you know, cozy fantasy is sort of a breakout genre, mm-hmm. like a branch of a larger tree of the fantasy genre. And I love the fact mm-hmm. that while your characters are staking a claim in their world, you're also staking a claim in the publishing world mm-hmm. and being like, cozy fantasy is worthy of your time. Yes, it is. It is worthy mm-hmm. of all the accolades and the awards that you are now up for. Do you feel mm-hmm. like the public perception has changed a little bit about these cozy fantasy romance new adult books? I think yes and no, if that makes sense. It has absolutely broken out this year, mm-hmm. I think, as its own relatively niche but becoming wildly popular subgenre. And I love that because these are books I've always loved. Like, I will still read, you know, gritty, grim, dark stuff, but sure. I also read these things. And, it, <laughs> and it's been amazing to finally have so many because so many of us are now working on it. Because, you know, when you think about it, these books mm-hmm. have always been around. Howl's Moving Castle was a long time ago and it is cozy fantasy but it feels like it's finally getting some attention in that sense i think that as a subset i think in general genre fiction is potentially sneered at sometimes by you know people who are more highbrow Mm. Um, cozy fantasy in particular i think is sort of like within fantasy it's kind of the thing that people look like a that have in the past sort of sneered at. And so I think in that mm-hmm. sense, it is getting the respect that it deserves as a subgenre in the same way that I think fantasy and sci-fi are getting the respect they deserve and have been for a little while. I don't necessarily think that's gone as far as it could. I think that there are still far too many people who I think Mm. sort of lump cozy fantasy and romance together in as much as they think, oh, because it's, it's, it's softer, it's happier, it's lighter, that it's somehow less worthy. And, you know, as somebody who is obsessed with romance, cozy fantasy, fantasy in general like i could not disagree more some of the the most mm. kind of therapeutic deepest sort of like dig deep into your soul and tear it out things i've read have been <laughs> in a romance novel because you know at the end of the day i think oh yeah these are stories about people so i mean i've never quite yeah. gone in with into the idea of some genres are less worthy than others but i don't think we're yet at the point where everyone feels the same way you know you just said that some of the things that tear your heart out are in some of these romance, like some of these things. You can't have yes. the found family trope without trauma. You can't really have a happy ending if you haven't had, you know, a sad beginning, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember reading Courtney Milan's Brothers Sinister series. And oh, these are so good. If you haven't read them, so mm. good. And each one of them has made me cry because of the fact that each of the main characters is in one way or another dealing with something difficult. Each of those books has made me cry. Each of them is so heartwarming and happy by the end. And, you know, I always think of that when I think of how people sort of brush romance aside as meh. You know, it's like <laughs> you clearly haven't read any. Exactly. <laughs> It sounds like you have some opinions about (laughs) books in general, obviously as an author. Do you have any 
controversial book or publishing opinions that you're willing to share with us? I mean, I have opinions. (laughs) (laughs) I have opinions, but I don't know that any of them are necessarily controversial. I mean, I think probably to certain people, me saying that romance and cozy fantasy are as worthy of respect as literary fiction is probably controversial. But I mean, I wouldn't think so. I think that there is merit in all sorts of genres. Right now, for example, I'm reading Sophie Hanna's Backlist of, you know, just crime. And when I'm working on a book, as I am actively, the only thing I can read is something that I would never write because otherwise, you know, just kind of all blends Mm. in my head. And I love reading crime fiction, but I would never write it. It's just not something I think I would ever be able to do. It's not where my strengths are. And so I've been reading a lot of crime recently. And it reminded me that, again, I think that like a lot of genres, there's snobbery. Mm -hmm. There's ways to like look at a certain genre and think, oh, it's just this or, oh, it's just that. But it isn't. And I think that it would be a mistake Mm -hmm. to dismiss all genre fiction as somehow superficial while, you know, gritty memoir and classics and deep literary novels are somehow objectively better. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things either. It's just that I don't think they're objectively better. No, you're absolutely correct. (laughs) And Mm. it's sad to me that that probably would be seen as a controversial (laughs) take to some people, when in reality, it's just a a normal sentence. (laughs) (laughs) But then I think that, you know, saying that we all deserve representation is still seen as a controversial opinion when Mm -hmm. it's it's a sentence. (laughs) It's a thing. Absolutely. (laughs) It's just what it should be. So we are obviously huge fans of everything that you've already put out. You have very quickly become our our instant buy author. Anything you put out, we will read. I wondered if you could take a minute and just tell us about your upcoming projects and just sort of let people know, give people a preview of what's coming down the pipe. Yes. These are the things that I'm sort of behind on my deadlines for, which is why there's a there's a certain amount of guilt when I talk about them. Um, <laughs> so my next release, theoretically next summer, probably around the same time Witches came out, is another standalone witchy romantic fantasy. Yay. Cozy, found family. <gasps> yes. Um, it has a little bit, I wouldn't say it's grumpy sunshine. It's probably closer to grumpy grumpy. Amazing. Oh my God. But I mean, I, I'm really, I love working on it. I'm very excited. I would tell you the title, but I'm not actually even sure I Is can there a title? yet. Oh. No, it's okay. Don't get in trouble. Don't get in trouble. <laughs> I really like, I keep telling myself I need to email my editor and say, by the way, can we, can we mention the title yet? And I keep forgetting. <laughs> That's what I will do tomorrow. But yes. So it's a cozy um, romantic fantasy. Very. I think if you liked witches, you will like this, even though they are both standalones. Not the same world, not the same characters, but the same vibes. The vibes are immaculate. Mm. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think like, you know, much like we have people compare legends and lattes and witches, it's it's the vibes, not the actual content. Yes. And in 2020, what year? 2024. <laughs> I don't even know time anymore. Um, Seems so far away. I'll have my first book of my new middle grade fantasy series will be out in the spring. Oh, fabulous. Can you tell us that title or yes it's vanya and the wild hunt that has been announced so that's fine it's a sort of magic 
school monster hunting story about this girl who discovers that she that she comes from like a family of monster hunters and that these monsters are just creatures from world mythology and so she gets whisked off to this school mm. where she learns how to protect the world from them that's so fun that's amazing I, mean, I, I am hoping very much that it is going to be a lot of fun yeah don't worry we'll apply for the advanced reader copy uh Sangu, so <laughs> we'll be right in there oh my gosh it'll be a while i think but fair enough <laughs> Sangu, we would love to have you on for another two hours. We could do this all day with you. It has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. I want to give you a moment if you can let people know where to find you. Shout out your social media handles, whatever you'd like to tell people so that they can find you. Yeah, I mean, I'm on my website is just www.sangumandana.com. I'm on Instagram. Again, it's just the handle mm-hmm. is just my name no symbols and i am on twitter tiktok but not a whole lot so i mean i think i'll just but if if, if that's where you want to find me it is again just my name yeah i think that's it we really appreciate you joining us today and we just had so much fun this was such a cool experience that we got to kind of gush at you about your oh, books <laughs> it's been so much fun for me too. i mean you did gush at me about my books why wouldn't it be fun for me <laughs> um, but no it's just been really nice you know dig deep into past books as well as present and it's been lovely thank you for having me thank you so much and thank you to our listeners for joining us on this very special episode of pages unknown we'll talk to you guys soon Goodbye.